following program does not necessarily reflect the views of the staff or management of WFMD. Welcome to the Faith Debate on 930 WFMD and 99.9 HD2 and worldwide at www.wfmd.com. Thanks so much for spending part of your Sunday morning with us if you're listening to us live or part of your day if you're out and about listening to the podcast right now. Speaking of podcasts, you can access that at that said www.wfmd.com. You can also access the podcast and all sorts of other stuff about the show and the churches that are represented here on this show, which I'll get to in just a second, at householdoffaithinchrist.com. That's householdoffaithinchrist.com. I'm Troy Skinner, the pastor of that church, Household of Faith in Christ, and uh, my partners in crime on this show. And uh, we represent kind of the leadership of a, of a number of churches that are working together, house churches that are working together. We've got uh, David and Daniel, uh, uh, David uh, Forsey, Daniel Rasby, trying to put all your names together at the same time. I'm getting myself all discombobulated here. And Imran Rasby. Uh, Imran and Daniel are with a church that's called, I think, the church that meets at Imran's house. Uh, David's um, with a church that is yet to be named. We're gonna we're gonna actually do a contest on the show one day, I think, and see if we can come up with a name for your. Uh, the, 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 that's the good news. The bad news is whatever name we choose is what you're stuck with. So we got to make sure it's oh, a good man. one, right? And I, I didn't do this last week, but I, I like to uh, give a shout out. The the, the Rasvies established a ministry years ago that has a lot of helpful uh, information for family life, particularly. Um, they have a website for that. They don't have a website for their church, but they have a website for their ministry, and it's conqueredbylove.org is their website. Conquered by Love Ministries is the name of their organization, and conqueredbylove.org have some great resources. And we're actually going to spend some time, the plan is, uh, God willing, the creeks don't rise, uh, to talk about some of the specific things uh, that are related to the books that you've written on various topics that have to do with how to raise a family uh, as a biblically informed, you know, Christian uh, mother and father kind of thing. So if you were with us last week, uh, or if you were listening to the podcast, and now you're hearing this one on the heels of uh, that podcast. I know some people that do that. They listen to a series of shows in rapid succession. So uh, welcome back. Hello. Um, we were talking about being nice and, and the broader culture and how the church should be interacting with um, a world that insists we be nice. And if you tell the truth that maybe that's not nice and how do we navigate that? This week, I want to kind of piggyback on that and talk more specifically about the kinds of problems that has caused for the institutional church, if you will, this past uh, year or two, trying to be so nice that if everybody, including the government, says you're not going to meet, we're going to sh- we're going to close our doors. Or think, if everybody says you got to stay six feet apart, you're going to do that. I think something that might be worth talking about uh, would be why have we gotten to a point where niceness is so important? What is it about niceness that you know that has somehow gotten it up to the the highest of priorities? Hmm. Do you have a re- do you have a an answer to your I, question as you as you maybe mm-hmm. I I mean my my thinking is that maybe maybe it has to do with the importance of people's feelings, um, which we I think you know we mentioned that last week but um, yeah it, you know if if someone is nice that you know that makes me feel good if they're nice to me, nice is easy. There's a book yeah. that was written a while ago in sales. Good is the enemy of great. I don't know if you guys ever heard of that. Mm-hmm. But niceness is the enemy of holy. 
You don't have to be holy if you're nice. Holy is set apart and separated for the love of God and the grace of God and glorification of God, whereas nice is just nice. And nice is easy. Anybody can be nice, but to be holy is hard. And that is a whole different worldview that is really lacking in the Western culture completely because to get along with everybody, just get along, to get along because of all the uh, diversification, the racism, the whatever else you can con up because everything can, can be pointed to divisiveness where holy is divisive. It means set apart. And boy... I probably should have done some homework. Maybe one of you, if, you, if you're able to get a signal and you could look up really quick. What is the, maybe not the definition of today, the <laughs> definition from 50 to 100 years ago of nice, because I feel like it's changed. I don't think what we mean by the word nice, because nice now is considered a good thing. So should oh. we look for the Noah, Noah Webster 1828? Sure, yeah, look, yeah, let's go way back. Because so, my, my sense, I'm going to guess. Cause, I have it. Let me let me put my guess and see if I'm right. My guess is that it wasn't necessarily a compliment, and now it is. Let me see if I, am I right. So there is an adjective to uh, to eat dainties or sweetmeats. Uh, <laughs> what? Pro- properly <laughs> soft, whence delicate, tender, dainty, sweet, fine, accurate, exact, precise, as nice proportions, nice symmetry, nice workmanship, uh, nice texture, nice tints of color. Uh, requiring scrupulous exactness um, or being over-scrupulous or exact or perceiving accurately that the smallest faults, errors, or irregularities. The, dif- the, the list is actually, there's, there's 14 different definitions, one of which is trivial or unimportant. Another one is weak, foolish, or effeminate. <laughs> so, I was just going to say those first few words that you mentioned on that first definition oh. sounded like effeminacy. Yeah. Weakness, softness, right? And to some extent, preciseness or accuracy. Is, is, right, sure. Yeah, so that would be a positive use. But I, I'd be willing to bet that if we were, you know, if we could get in the Wayback Machine and travel back in time a couple hundred years and some, and you called somebody nice, they'd punch you in the nose for it. Mm-hmm. Well, you, who are you calling nice? <laughs> and not only is that, but the context is important, but also just the tone. Nice. Nice. Oh, nice. I mean, there's so many different meanings right. for the same word. Right. And... Nice is not not very precise. As, as you said, there's 14 different definitions for it. It's not a precise thing, even though one of the definitions is precise. But it's interesting, those, those ones that we're talking about, um, soft, weak, what were some of those words? Weak, foolish, effeminate, um, easily injured, delicate, uh, trivial, unimportant. Does that not describe our world today? We live in a nice world. <laughs> Right? Our culture, our society is very, very nice. So everybody who was aiming for that, good job. You got us there. Noah Webster's 1828 Dictionary. I hope you're proud of yourself. We're all a bunch of niceies now. A soft, cushioned fall. Yeah, we're, 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 we're a bunch of pansies. That's a flower, right? It is. I'm not sure why that's an insult to be called a flower. And that's the, kind of what I started asking. <laughs> uh, are they delicate flowers? Are they particularly delicate no, they're, flowers? they're pretty hardy, actually. Are they? Yeah. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> but one of the things I said last week about um, Jesus, we, in our culture, we have this perception of Jesus, that Jesus was nice. And with all that weak, effeminate, you know, uh, in, uh, easily injured, delicate. But 
to whatever extent Jesus acted in some of those manners when he was here the last time on earth. He is not when he's coming again. He's coming as the conquering king to destroy the world. That's what people are looking forward to with Jesus' second coming. And I think that's, that is lost on the church today. Yeah, but also, where do we get this that Jesus was nice? It's from the current culture. There's nothing in the Bible that says that he was nice. Yeah, the, the word not, I mean, it's an English word, so yeah, we have, we have to think, is, would there be any Hebrew or Greek words that could be glossed fairly as nice? And maybe, I don't know, I'd have to think about that. But we do have the fruit of the Spirit, which includes gentleness and self-control and kindness and love and words that feel kind of nice. So is that where the idea of nice comes from? Are, are we misunderstanding what gentleness and kindness and love are? Well, a, a parent can love their child and punish them when they do something wrong. That's a form of love. So love doesn't always mean it's nice and gentle and, and, and soft and, and, and warm and fuzzy. I think we've confused nice with meek, right? I th- I th- well, I think we've confused what meek means, and therefore we've allowed ourselves to confuse it with nice. You guys agree with that? Yes. But also the culture has often stated that the only people that have to be nice are Christians. Other people don't have to be nice. They can be mean. They can play hard. They can do all the nasty things they, they want because they're not Christians. But if you're Christians, you have to be nice. You have to play nice. And they're able to play that card because Christians have been, uh, they, uh, generally speaking, not all Christians, hopefully not the four in this room, <laughs> but and hopefully a lot of hearing our voices as well. Uh, have, but too many, I think, have allowed themselves to be deluded into having a false idea of what it means to be a Christian. And so we, we, we've begun to own that niceness, nicety, is a virtue for a Christian as the world defines niceness. And, and because we're sensitive to that, they're allowed to bludgeon us with that club. Because you don't want somebody to say, oh, you're a hypocrite. Right, that's one of the worst things a Christian could hear is, "Oh, you're a hypocrite," uh, and so you're, you're all about being gentle and kind and meek, and here you are not being very nice. I mean, you you want those Christopher Columbus statues statues to stay up? That's not very nice to the indigenous people, is it? You know, like, and so you, you get yourself boxed in on all of these issues. You don't want to show your little vaccination card to walk into the worship service. What? Aren't, you're not nice. You're not going to be nice to the powers that be. You're going to force the police officers to have to do something to you, or you're going to force the you know your neighbors to think badly of our congregation. Yeah, you have to attack the premise, and you know it's it's a false argument. And just like you know we talked last week, and we've talked for the last several months about definition of terms. It's so important to have the proper definition that we agree on. If somebody's going to accuse you of something, you have to agree on the terms to begin with. Uh, otherwise, there's no conversation to be had. And too, uh, people are too quick, I think, in our culture to make an assumption. You say one or two words, oh, you're, you're a this, you're a that. Hold on. First of all, what does this and that mean in your context? What's the definition? And then why? And let's get to that at the bottom because hmm. if, if we don't agree on the terms, there really is no way to communicate. And what's, what's been the root of, of that? Um, but I, I'm... I'm, I'm thinking of, like, social media right now mm-hmm. uh, in general. And, and anything where there's, like, uh, where there are bites of information going out, either of, you know, what, what somebody said or, um, 
you know, somebody sharing about themselves. It's all just little tiny pieces. Right. And so nothing is fleshed out. And so, uh, so yeah, I, I wonder if that has taken away from the ability in general for society to to desire and to have a you know a, a complete conversation where right. where everything well, is I mean, is discussed I, fully. I said before, I don't know if I said it on this program, but if you go back and read um Thomas Paine uh um uh Common Sense, the book that was circulated throughout the American colonies right before the revolution. And it's not that long of a book. I think it's 80 or 100 pages. But it's some really deep, complicated stuff at a huge, uh, uh, a very high reading level and, and, and uh, coherence uh, level, such that if you circulated that or something like it among the general population, first of all, most people wouldn't even crack the book because it's too long. Like you said, it's it a wouldn't lot circulate, tweet. yeah. It wouldn't circulate, and the ones that did read it would be very confused by it because it's it's such a deep level. We just don't have that education or the attention span to digest. Yeah, we've jumped. You know, back in the 1990s, there was that famous movie line in A Few Good Men. Jack Nicholson is uh, is on the stand. Tom Cruise is badgering him, and the, the uh, military commander that Jack is playing says, You can't handle the truth. We've jumped now. We're, we live in, in, in a reality where it's not about handling the truth. We can't comprehend the truth. Right. Right. We, we can't speak the truth. We can't, yeah, we, you can't speak the truth if you don't know the truth. We can't figure out the truth because you can't even read the truth. You can't understand the words on the page anymore. We're so dumbed down, but, so worried about being nice that we don't know anything that's true. But I was just preaching on this topic actually very recently. I mean, if you read 1 Corinthians, it says, God hath made the wisdom of this world to be foolishness. And that's intentional. We shouldn't be surprised if you're not saved, you don't have the discerning wisdom. There really is no way for you to comprehend much of anything in this life without a foundation in, in God, in Christ. So that it really has to start there. Uh, and God will save the ones he wants to save. But it, it says very clearly, God has made the wise foolish and the foolishness of God, if, if it were, like the, the most foolish part of God that it could, could be, would be is wiser than the wisest of men. And that's, I mean, it's, and there's a quote in there from Isaiah 20, uh, 29, I think, which talks about the, the, one of the prophecies God says, I'm going to do this. And so it really shouldn't surprise us when we see such little comprehension. And like you said, you can't handle uh, or can't comprehend. Yeah. Although I, I do feel like I want to be careful uh, you know, the word fool, the way we normally use it, isn't exactly the way the Bible typically is using. It, it has to do more with the, like a sinful condition, right? And a darkness of heart and attitude towards God than right. unintelligence. Right. But in, in, the, in the context of the passage in First Corinthians, it's talking about the gospel and the saying, you know, the, uh, the gospel we preach is to the Jews a stumbling block and to the Gentiles or to the Greeks uh, uh, foolishness, but to them that are called the wisdom and the power of God. So they understand it, but Everyone else that who's preached, if they're not going to get saved, they really don't have a clue what's being said, because their their ears are closed, their eyes are, are, are sorry, the ears ears are stopped and their eyes are, are closed. They can't hear or see what's going on. So, yeah, God. Yeah, God's standard is lost on them. His holiness, right? His way is completely lost on them. But I mean, there's a lot of uh, unsaved individuals that are way smarter than me 
So I, I, you know, I'm not going to say that they ha that I have a higher intelligence, but I do have a much better grasp on the truth. Well, I actually have a grasp on the truth, the truth, capital T, the truth, that they don't have at all. Is it maybe because you fear God? Because wisdom starts with the fear of God, and that's sorely missing in this culture. There is no fear of God, and if there is no fear of God, then where does wisdom start? And so we, yeah. we have a situation where the prevailing reality, sadly, and it's heartbreaking, and, and I might be overstating the numbers. I don't know. I'm not out there doing a poll and, and checking them all out myself. But my sense is, and I don't mean this as hyperbole, my sense is that more than 90% of the churches in the West do not proclaim the gospel, are led by pastors that might not even know what the gospel is, perhaps aren't even Christians themselves. I don't know for sure about that part. But as far as going to a church and hearing the gospel proclaimed on a regular basis, week in, week out, that is not happening in the overwhelming vast, vast majority of churches, it seems to me. And how is that allowed to happen? Well, we find out, you know, you got pastors that aren't writing their own sermons. You know, they're hiring, farming it out to organizations like Docent Group. And you can hear one pastor do a sermon, and then three days, you know, three weeks later, you hear another pastor do basically the exact same sermon. How that happened? Because they word. bought it from the same place. It's a word for word thing. Yep. And and those people writing those sermons for them might not be Christians. So then you're getting a bunch of Tony Robbins, you know, live your best life now, success happens to you if you only follow these five steps to a happy existence kind of stuff. Uh, and that's what passes. And so we got. The world around us is dumbed down, but as far as fear of God is, is dumbed down in that sense, has no wisdom, has no sense of a fear of God, because the pastors aren't proclaiming the full counsel of God. They're not pro sometimes proclaiming any of the counsel of God. Yeah. So is the only way to fix that to just everybody join a house church? And I mean, is our way of doing things the only way we're going to get ourselves out of this? <laughs> well, I think, I think the, the fact that the gospel is not being preached is one of the reasons that our culture has a misunderstanding of what it is to be a Christian. And that's where you say, you know, uh, you, you were saying that when something happens where, oh, oh you're breaking your standard, you know, you, you're, you're a hypocrite. Well, yes, the standard that you are perceiving, which is based on the gospel that you think is, is the truth, which is not even the correct gospel, because the real correct gospel is not even being preached. Uh, we don't have an understanding of that because the church isn't doing its job. And you know why it's not preached? Because it's not nice. It's not nice. It doesn't pay. You know. Well, yeah. In today's economy, right? Today's pay. world, it doesn't pay. That's for sure. Although, the, you, you know, need paying customers in the fuse. If you don't yeah, that's why the prosperity pay. gospel is so uh, popular because that does pay. And, that, and right? that's one reason yeah. why the house church motto I think is very useful. It is because you don't have a lot of expenses. You don't have to be bringing in massive amounts of donations to keep the lights on and so you don't you don't have to worry quite as much about oh if i make people offended they might not come here and then we how are we going to have a church yeah you know, and not to be making an accusation that i mean there's plenty of large churches that have uh, you know buildings and and uh, you know all sorts of things and they have plenty of saved uh uh, congregation that no, there are some there. examples. Yeah, I right. could name. I'm not going right. to so list not, them, but there are a number I could name that are very successful, very yeah. big, and they have faithful, as far yeah. as I can tell, faithful ministers. Yeah, several, that, plenty that I know of personally. And I'm sure there's others, uh, many others. Uh, so we're not making a blanket accusation, but I think in general, 
that is one of the dangers when you get to be a very large church. Now you have overhead. And I think that's one thing that the early church was trying to not have is, is a lot of overhead. And it allows you to be um, more bold in preaching because you're not, you don't have a conflict of interest. I, I think one of the, so, you know, maybe not everybody needs to be in a house church, but every Christian does need to take ownership for the discipleship of their own household. Yes. And and the discipleship of fellow Christians. Like there there should be that uh that responsibility that's that's uh, there is that responsibility that's taken on by every Christian. And so I think I think one of the main issues, the problems that's that's arisen within the and, and sources of a lot of problems and issues as well in the the American church is that there are designated people in charge of those things, good at those things, doing those things. And, uh, you know, and so I just, I just go and I attend and, um, you know, some, someone else reads their Bible and tells me what it says. And, um, so I, I think, I think that, you know, the, the undoing of, <clears throat> of the individual Christians hunger for the word on their own and that's a real challenge yeah. that I've had to deal with uh, recently, actually. Um, the idea of the programs are going to be the solution. We're going to have a program for that with designated people that within the institution of the church. So the church becomes like this amalgam of parachurch organizations under one housing unit, right. as right. opposed to the, you know, the, the structure of the church is you've got elders who are responsible for teaching and leading and involved in uh, in the spiritual well-being of their congregation, equipping them to then go be salt and light uh, in the world. Uh, and if they want to do things among uh, partnering with each other, other Christians or whatever, that's fine. But within the institution of the church is a problem. I had somebody that refused to, to become a part of House of the Faith in Christ because we refuse to make a, a central pillar of, of our quote-unquote ministry uh, the abortion issue. And I said... I teach about it, I preach against it, I blog about it. I've been very vocal over the years on the radio about that issue. I've gone and and uh, stood vigil at abortion clinics in the past. I mean, it's an important part of of what I do, and it is. I would agree with anybody who would who would want to make the argument that it is the most heinous sin in the history of the United States of America. I mean, tens of millions of babies brutally slaughtered. It, I, there's nothing worse than that. So I agree with all of that. But my job as the pastor isn't to organize efforts to fight against that. It might be an individual Christian's call, might be you know, it might be a vocation they're gonna take on, like they're gonna go about doing that. But my I need to make sure, one, to your point, David, I gotta make sure I take care of my own family, right? I gotta I gotta be responsible for my own household, my wife, my 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 son, uh, myself. (laughs) And then beyond that, I gotta make sure that I'm preparing the sermons and being uh uh, biblically faithful in that, and I've got to minister to the people in their needs, counsel them in their marriages and in their life decisions and those sorts of things. And then whatever time I might have left over, then I can allocate that to other things like maybe abortion if I have time and that sort of thing. If I'm going to take less time to prepare a good gospel message in order to go be involved in the abortion fight, I'm derelict of my primary duty. And explaining that to somebody was completely unacceptable, and they they refuse to join our church. I mean, I agree with you because you can either be a church or an anti-abortion ministry. 
you can't be an anti-abortion church because that's not that, that's right. not what a church is. Right. A church is to disciple the people and have leadership there. Anti-abortion is really a ministry that's an offshoot of a church or exactly. offshoot of, of people that are Christians that have a, a heart for it. And you can do it as as a person, but not as a pastor. As a pastor, your primary concern is the discipleship. And you can do it as a group of persons. You know, if you have a bunch of like-minded people, they might even all go to the same church, and they might all want to do that together as brothers and sisters in Christ. But they don't need their pastor to organize it, to lead the charge for it, to help fund it. That's not what the church is for, so we've misunderstood. Well, we, believe it or not, we're, we've run out of darn time again. How do we do that? We need more time. Oh, wait till next week. Well, yeah, next week we'll be back. Again, God willing, creeks don't rise. Um, the one who's talking about coming back next week, that's Daniel Razvi, his father. Uh, Imran Razvi, also on the show. David Forsey. Uh, they've all, uh, they're involved with house churches, as you've heard us talk about. So am I. Mine is called Household of Faith in Christ. You can find us online at householdoffaithinchrist.com. I'm Troy Skinner, by the way. You can also go to wfmd.com. Till next week, when the faith debate returns, uh, God bless. Let's see, that'll be in about 167 and a half hours from right now.